Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim on the Myelonomics Podcast Network. For episode 14, we're joined by Joe Petrovic of Award Travel 101, where we'll talk through his milestone trip to Europe with his father to include how he was able to score flying on two of my personal favorite first-class products. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Trevor. Hey, TK. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. And we're glad to have you. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the Milan Points game? Well, I pretty much got into the miles and points game, the same as many people in this field is kind of accidental in a way. We, and I say we being my P2, my wife and I were looking to do a little bit more travel and a little bit less paying bills, which is what we had been very focused on. And while we were focused on paying bills, my wife was watching social media, which I was not on at that time. And she kept seeing all these beautiful pictures of people going places and doing fun things. And she said, I want to be doing that. And I said, there's no way that's ever happening. We can't afford that. And I came across an article, I want to say back in maybe 2014, 2015, and Rolling Stone magazine about this kid who hacked the system, so to speak, and how he flew all these business and first class products and had these incredible experiences And he happened to have a little blog called One Mile at a Time. So I started following his blog and reading things that he wrote and kind of all went from there. Yeah, I mean, definitely sounds like a story where, you know, a lot of people have very similar experiences. You know, they they read something or they read an article or happen upon a particular uh, blog post or something, and then they suddenly get inspired and get into the hobby, so to speak. One of the things that I think both Trevor and I are, are kind of impressed by is just how quickly you came up to speed, you know. So I guess one of the quick questions that you have that we have kind of just is how did you kind of get as smart as you did uh, in this hobby <laughs> as quickly as you did? Yeah, I kind of was tickled by that question as uh, it was presented to me. And I'll tell you the reason why is that I don't see it as something that's happened overnight or, or quickly. I've really been doing this, if I want to take it back, all the way back to 2014 or so. But I just wasn't heavily into it at that time. I was just like, you know, I had some friends who lived in California and I live in Cleveland and, you know, it's a 2,000 mile flight back and forth. And I said, what are some ways that I could pare the cost down from getting across the coast? And I'm in a former United Hub airport and we... United is our primary airline out of Cleveland still to this day. And I said, maybe I'll get a United card. I I saw this and I came from a family who is not heavily into credit. They don't like credit. They don't like banks. They don't like that. It's very Dave Ramsey-ish mentality. So me and my wife, when I first started thinking about this idea, I said, hey, I can get these airline miles and it can get me a couple of flights back and forth to California based on what the Saber Awards were at the time. And we probably talked on it for, I don't know, a month or two before I finally did it. And then I got the card and then I was like, this isn't fast enough. I I can't earn money spending on this card fast enough. So and I need to get more cards. And I started getting more cards, started digging into it. Eventually, back in May 2018, I attended a conference and that was Zorkfest in Las Vegas. 
I attended several conferences in 2018. That wasn't the first one. I actually attended a frequent traveler university meetup in Seattle in early 2018. And it just was like all way over my head. I was just kind of, my mind was boggled by everything because I thought I really knew what was going on. I thought I was going to go to this thing and I was going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what's going on here. And this, that, and that next thing. And I, I start seeing these people talk about different techniques to generate points and just different things to take advantage of earning status. And I remember the one thing I took from that particular meetup that FTU in Seattle was that you could hack your way to Marriott Bonvoy status, which at that time was kind of a combo between Marriott and SPG. So if you knew that you could book these meetings and you could find a place to book. It could be just you and somebody else. You could book out the space for an hour and effectively you earn 10 elite night credits and you could hack your way to Marriott Bonvoy status, which some people took to a extraordinary level and created lifetime status for them and their whole family and killed the program. So it was things like that that interested me. And in 2017, I had become pretty adept at utilizing the ultra low cost carrier game. I was very knowledgeable in frontier and spirit. And I felt like I knew how to scale up my travel. Well, many of my wife and her friends were talking about how they couldn't go or couldn't afford to go anywhere. And I got really good at using those programs, but I really didn't understand the miles and points game. Truly. I, I had a little bit in United. I had a little bit in Southwest. But I was getting to the point, even after Frequent Traveler University, that I said, I just don't understand how folks in the community, uh, many like both of you, who are doing these incredible trips to Europe and Asia and all over the world, and it seems like there's a, a post every day by somebody doing something amazing, where is it that I'm going wrong? Why can't I do these things? And I started realizing that I didn't have the right rewards programs. I was tied into two two airline loyalty programs being United Mileage Plus and Southwest Rapid Rewards. That's where everything was tied up. I didn't know anything about flexible point currencies and all those sort of things. And it really took that meetup in Las Vegas at Zorkfest where I met up with another blogger who I'd read at the time, Gib or Gilbert Ott from God Save the Points. And he actually spent some time with me. He took time out of his schedule and walked me through a lot of the issues I was having and why I couldn't understand things like expert flyer and these different tools that were constantly being thrown about and thrown around out there. So it was really in 2017, late 2017, early 2018, I said, I need to change it up here. I need to change my game. I need to change my mindset and I need to attack this in a different way. And I basically stopped all of my extracurricular activities. I didn't, I stopped watching television. I didn't go to movies. I didn't do any sports. I, I didn't watch anything. If it was not miles and points and travel and loyalty related, I wasn't doing it. So I, I refocused. I immersed myself into these programs. I decided I'm going to do everything that I can to be able to do more of this stuff and you know, it's something that I, I said I wanted to get to Hawaii and my wife, you know, would not go. She said, I'm not going to Hawaii because we are, while we're not quite East Coast, we're close enough to East Coast that going to Hawaii was going to be a bit of a challenge. And she said, if we're not lying flat in a seat and I don't have a bed, which again, we were the 
people who are always in economy. We never flew first class. I am not going over there. And part of that's because of our son. And our son is autistic. He is now 16 years old. He's traveled to many states, been on planes many times, but the airport experience is tough on him. And not having some of those comforts, you know, going to the places he knows, she wanted to be able to make sure that the space that he had was able to be someplace that was comfortable for him. And it was something where he could be encapsulated, more or less, I guess I could say that, and not have to worry about who all was around us and, and what might set him off. And I happened to be following and I said, I know that there's a route coming up from Detroit, which is not a far drive from me. Uh, that was going to be opening up. And I started stocking that route down. And at one point, I found space in Delta One. And we, the rest is history. We flew that out, all four of us there and back. I didn't have enough points at the time to do it all through membership rewards or one point currency, which is what I would have chosen had I also known about the transfer bonuses that occur because, man, I wish I would have had some transfer bonuses on that one. That was a chunk of change. But it was something that we turned into a super memorable trip that just would have never been possible without miles and points. I would have never been able to afford the trip as we did it. And we stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, Kapalua and Maui, as well as the Royal Hawaiian or Pink Palace on Honolulu. Had some incredible stays, got a beachfront upgrade. The Royal Hawaiian was only Marriott Gold status at the time simply by watching for rooms to open up while we were there because the rooms we had originally were terrible. Man, just some of the things I learned in the communities watching in the all of the Facebook communities, how to do some of these things. And I said, if, if I can do this, you know, just with a, really a year's worth of investment in my time, what can I do over time as years go by? It sounds like the the answer was a, a combination of fascination on bordering on obsession. <laughs> it sounds like uh, what, what the answer to the question was, which is I think very common. You know, I think a lot of people go down the rabbit hole and they just keep digging. You know, they keep digging and digging and digging because there's um, a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, uh, and it's hard for any one person to have. Just as you said, you know, people focus on certain niche programs that they get to know and love. And, you know, you do get your favorites and you get to learn those because honestly, to know every program and every mileage currency and, and all the sweet spots, and it's too much, I think, for your, your brain to process simultaneously. And, and so it does sound like that what you did do is broaden your horizon because I think you had a maybe a smaller subset of programs that you were really focused on. And then you really kind of blew that up as you got deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. That's a really great point. I mean, you and I go back and forth, TK. You know Delta a whole lot better than I do. It's a blind spot for me. But Star Alliance, I might, I probably know a little bit more, perhaps a little bit more than you I, do. I think you have more experience just doing your Star Alliance flying than, than I, you know, I seem to have had probably more, maybe Sky, definitely more Sky Team than you, possibly more One World. But I know you're, you're definitely uh, much, much hotter on the Star Alliance partners. 
That good old Lufthansa first class, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember that was one of the things that I, I noticed in the community. And, and Trevor stood out to me as I was coming up. And I, I said, man, there's always this picture of this rose and champagne. It's this rose and champagne, rose by the window and champagne. And he keeps doing it over and over. I was like, how do I get to that point? <laughs> Lufthansa first class drink. Yes, the unofficial piece of the drinking game of of, of, yes. the, of the podcast. <laughs> I guess to kind of answer, finish answering the question, you know, I attended a lot of conferences in 2018. I attended four different conferences that year. I just really focused on everything I could do to learn about it. I attended Chicago seminars where I met up with one of the Award Travel 101 uh moderators, and that was Tony Southam, who eventually became my partner in administering the Award Travel 101, 201, and so on communities. And we were talking about it one day because I went from 2018 to just asking her all the questions. I remember I sat down with her and I skipped a bunch of sessions at Chicago seminars. I wanted to take in everything she had to say because I knew she was always doing these trips on her own. She had four kids and was going all over the world. And I said, how do I do this? I need to learn from somebody who can do this with kids because I have two kids that, you know, I don't have four kids, but I have two kids. I have a wife and how can we, you know, do some of these things like she was. And I just sat down with her for probably an hour and a half, two hours and picked her brain on all kinds of things. And not too long later, about a year later, I was asked to present at a conference and did so in front of 200 different people. And cried my eyes out, you know, talking about my experience with my son and the things that we had done. And uh, it was just something that a lot of people say and still say to me this day that your presentation was unlike any other. We'd never seen a presentation like that. And to me, it was a tough spot. And maybe it was like 15 seconds of raw emotion that took over just talking about, you know, the, the way that we everything we've come through with our son because it, it's been you know not an easy experience but as we you know kept doing and we kept pushing and we did all these things you know 2019 i gave a presentation and a few months later i was asked to join the team over at award travel 101 and had done as much as i could to keep the community active because it was something that i was just so passionate about i was not only the best member and most active member in the community I was by far the most active team member at that point then too, which was what eventually led to me being asked to administrate the team back in early 2020. And of course, we all know what happened then. <laughs> I think your story really highlights the importance of community. You know, the face-to-face -face interaction is is incredibly important, but like the the existence of a community that that, that you can kind of go to that you can share the share your wins, sort of figure out ways to unfail or ways to do better the next time when you fall short. That community, I think, is a really important piece of, 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 of really the hobby in general. I mean, for me, seeing kind of the, these different communities grow and, 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 and it's just much more different then I think when, when TK and I got in, we largely had flyer talk and then there was mile point. Those sometimes got a little bit edgy. It took a lot more work and a lot more focus and time to better understand those two communities, probably a little less on the mile point side, but it just mile point didn't 
have as wide a, a volume of information, data, et cetera. I mean, I still go back to Flyer Talk nowadays. I just don't spend a whole lot of time on the forums unless I'm specifically looking for something because you've got just these great communities from Facebook in Slack where you have those resources and you've got the ability to learn and the ability to share. And I just think that's awesome. And, and the fact that you've risen up to the top of Award Travel 101 is, it's an exciting thing, especially considering that really that year of dedicated research, dedicated learning has really, like I said, gotten you up pretty quick. I think you were able to accelerate things again, using the community, being able to pull aside people at conferences and kind of pick their brains and, and kind of, you know, find out a lot of the secrets or a lot of, you know, how do they approach their problems, you know, in, in some of these solving these mysteries of how do I get the right number of miles? How do I, how do I find the right trip? Most of my knowledge I think has been gathered. I mean, I've been in this a pretty long time, you know, I've probably been a little bit longer than, than, than you, but I, I think what, what happened is, is my stuff kind of trickled in, you know, and I, I think you, you got the fire hose by talking straight to some of the experts. And that really is a, a really great way to accelerate the learning. I think and my thing is I go to these conferences, I get maybe like one or two nuggets, you know, or something from people. And, and that seems to be the constant thing. I, I love going to the conferences because I still get enough of these little gold nuggets to kind of make sense and make me want to go out and, you know, have a happy hour with a bunch of people and, you know, learn one or two new things. But it's also amazing to go out to one of these conferences, sit down with somebody and just be like, hey, can you just like tell me everything you know? And just, just kind of like, I think it's amazing. I, I tend to be more of that, like a little bit more of the more introverted lurker kind of person. So I, I kind of sit there, just listen for the little nuggets over here, some conversations, but I kind of admire also people who can go in and just be like, Hey, tell me everything, you know, and really just absorb all of it. Cause that I think is awesome. And I think it's why you're able to get up to speed as quickly as you were. You know, one of the things I look at and say about myself is that I'm not particularly introverted, nor am I extroverted. So I'm not going to be the person that everybody wants to hang around when we go to a meetup or something. I'm not going to have a crowd of people waiting to talk to me, like some people that they just drive, they're full of charisma. And I think of some of the folks in the community who are like that. And I'm just like, that's amazing that they can be like that. But I think because I'm a somewhat of an academic, so to speak, as well. I have a little bit of that in me. And I look at how I can do some of these things. That's what it's just like, I want to be able to answer everybody's question. I want to be able to help everybody. And that's kind of where all of this really started is that, you know, in 2017, I said, I know a lot about this, and I can do it better than a lot of the people that I know. So I started my own blog, I wrote about it, and I didn't write about it necessarily for them. I wrote about it as kind of a memoir for me to look back and say, okay, here were the things that I knew. And it's something that can help people out, but more, how can I keep helping people out? And it was just part of it was not just helping them out. It's helping myself out because if I was writing it down, I was researching it and I was researching it so that I could understand it better so that I could explain it. And that's why I really enjoy this community because I had met several folks after attending all these different meetups. And the last one was an Award Travel 101 meetup of the four in 2018. And I finally had, I felt like a connection of people who I was regularly interacting with online. And I said, you know, these core 60 to 150 people, I don't remember what it was, but these core people here, I see all, all the time. I see what they're doing. I want to know how they did it. And then that eventually got me to a point where I was like, okay, I understand certain concepts, but how can I 
build on that? How can I take that to the next level? And I used the community to enhance my own knowledge by helping others out, if that makes sense. So effectively, I got to a point, and I think this is where they started noticing me and either said, probably said, what's wrong with this guy? Because he was <laughs> answering more questions than anybody else. Or, you know, they're like, hey, thanks. That takes a load off of me. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. But the bottom line is, is I got to a point where I'd see somebody post something and I was like, I want to know how to answer this and be able to answer it within 10 minutes. If I see a post. I want to read it. I know how to research it. I know how to find information. I know how to do my Google searches and I don't want to have to ask somebody. I want to be able to do this on my own and I want to be able to do it. It's somewhat selfish. I mean, you have to look at it and say it's selfish in some manner. Even though I'm helping out others, I wasn't accountable to them. It's kind of absurd, absurdly selfish because, you know, I mean, you're moderating. And I think that's what kind of gives you that, that amazing perspective on all this because, you know, I think all that moderation that you do is just being able to see things, I think, in different lights or with different eyes that – you're not necessarily looking at the problem from from your own perspective each time. You you've got many different people who are coming at it from a different angle each time, and and you're having to then think, oh, okay, let me put on the thinking cap and, and and try to figure out, you know, how do I solve it from the way that they're trying to want to solve the problem. And it's something that as I was going along, I just said, you know, I had such an enthusiasm for the topics and learning all about it because I knew that someday down the road, all of these little sweet spots were going to sit in here and they were going to come to me when I needed them and when I wanted to do them and when I was going to have the time or the rewards to be able to do something like that. And starting, I think it was what, 21, 22, some of them started to fall into place. So pivoting to that, what would you say your travel style is? I mean, you've talked about, for example, your your, your luxurious trip to Hawaii. Is that sort of what you do or or do you have kind of a mix of luxury and economy? And Tell us a little bit about your travel style. Yeah, so I think really telling about my travel style has to tell about my person first. And the type of person I am, the type of person I was through school, and the kind of person I am today is I'm never about perfection. You'll never find me looking for absolute perfection. I don't believe in such a thing. And I think you can, people get too focused on trying to do things perfectly. And, you know, to be honest, I did that with booking the trip that you guys wanted to talk about, which was my trip with my father. I did that a little bit too much and I focused on it because I was trying to make it perfect. But in the everyday person out there, they don't need perfection. They need good enough. And good enough is like finding a ward that's not going to kill them. It's not going to cost them a, uh, all of their miles and points, their treasure chest. And they're going to be able to enjoy, you know, a nice, comfortable seat, whether it's economy, business or first. Of course, many of us want to upgrade that travel and do business in first. But I also realize that not everybody out there is like that. And me personally, because I'm not that person about perfection, I don't need to fly first class. I don't need to fly business class all the time. You'll mostly find me on my domestic travels, flying economy. I'm not afraid of budget carriers. I loved Frontier when we had that status match. We did the 100K status challenge, matched over my companion Passover, had, I think I got about two years worth of 100K status where I could fly my entire family up front and they get all the bags, priority boarding. Yeah, it's not my flat seats. Yeah, it's not first class meals and all that sort of stuff. 
but it wasn't uncommon for me to be able to fly my family. That's all four of us round trip for hundred bucks round trip, hundred to two hundred bucks round trip. And why would you use miles and points at that point when you know you can do something that you enjoy doing for so little cash? You want to be able to use those miles and points to excel or outsize your travel and use them where somewhere they're going to return a lot of value. So when I say that, that becomes my struggle as a an administrator now, as I've spent some time in the communities, because I see so many different ways to do this and so many different ways to approach a given situation that I'm like, okay, well, you could cash out your points to do this, or you could transfer it to this partner, or you could try to use this portal. And you could try to find the sweet spot or you could try to find this other thing. Now it's like it's information overload and you're like, there's all these things. But people just want to be able to travel. They don't want to spend a ton of money out of pocket and they want something better. And so, again, my game, like I said, I've never been perfection in college. I was the king of how can I get an A doing the least? I would do exactly the least of what I could to maintain what looked like excellence in grades. And I do the same thing in a war travel. I'm not going to, you say, dive deep. And I, I certainly have dived into this hobby more than many people ever will. But I'm not going down one specific program. I'm looking at them all because I have to look at them abroad. And it's like, if I don't have a general concept of what each of these things can do, how am I going to help others do the same thing? I don't need to know all about Avianca Life Miles. But if I know enough of their sweet spots and I know enough about what I need to know to accomplish what the majority of people want to do, that's what I'm going to do. And so my whole thing has always been about enhancing what you can do on as little as you can do it on. So whether that's miles and points, whether that's cash, I was just talking, we just recorded an episode of the Award Travel 101 podcast where I was talking about how I stayed at the Ritz-Carlton this past weekend, and I did it using a Marriott Bonvoy certificate from a credit card, used a few points, but I paid cash to do their club lounge access. And this is something where I was able to experience something I wouldn't have experienced before, but I was able to do it all for less. And it's just finding the different balances of that. I really like the advice that you're giving about, you know, good enough. I think the enemy, I think a lot of times is rigidity the lack of flexibility that people have, or they're trying to do way too much maximizing. I think that ultimately is a huge problem for a lot of people actually booking something because, you know, they're just sitting there with analysis paralysis of there's, you know, how do I maximize? How do I get, get things to perfection? And, you know, I, I really do like that comment. And it's, it's something that I, I try my best to live with as well, because, you know, you're never going to get it perfect. And, you know, sometimes you got to settle for something that's really good. And that's one way to to live your life and also to, you know, be able to be sane in this particular hobby where, you know, you, you could really go super crazy and obsessive. But you know what, now that we've kind of heard a little bit about your style, you know, I, I really want to get back to, I think, a little bit more about uh, this wonderful milestone trip, which I, I just think I, I'm just kind of waiting to hear about all these uh, juicy details. <laughs> yeah, so I decided back in January that I was going to take a trip to Croatia and go back to the place where our family name came from. And our family name, again, is as it is here in the United States, is Petrovic. But as it came over before it got messed up coming into the United States, it was Petrovic. My family is from 
Croatia and Slovenia. So going back to the late 1800s and early 1900s, on my father's side, we are from the former Republic of Yugoslavia and all those countries that are now individual. And they had a pretty bad civil war back in the 90s where they all split up and were fighting and shooting each other. And I saw many remnants of that in some of the places that I visited. There's still bullet holes and mortar explosions in many of the walls that we were there. But my dad and I had been talking for years and years, uh, even prior to the pandemic, I want to say going back to 2018 or 2019, that we wanted to get back to Croatia. He had visited right after 9-11. He had gone over to Croatia with his sister, and they had tracked back where the great-grandparents had lived, some of those things. And I wanted to do some of that, but I had also had the war travel communities, all the things that people had posted over the years about places they had visited. And I saw all these beautiful spots. I was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. There's the Plivica Lakes with they have beautiful waterfalls, Lake Bled in Slovenia with this beautiful blue, it's a glacier, glacier lake that was formed looking over to Vienna and the mountains, just so many different things that I saw. And I was like, I got to get there and do it. And in early January, a thrifty traveler notice came through and it was not over to Croatia, it was to London, England, saying that there was Polaris space available. And I didn't even talk to my dad. I was like, screw it. I'm going to book this thing. I have the United Miles. And one of the awesome things about the pandemic policies and the U.S. carriers is that you can always cancel without worrying about it. Of course, prior to that, I do have 1K status with United. So had they not made the change where the bookings didn't incur a redeposit fee, I would have had that available to me anyway. But no, it's awesome that you're able to make those changes without any things. And I booked it. Then I started playing with it. And I realized, hey, I can actually, for the same price, I can get to uh, all the way to Croatia. And I booked that. And right around that same time, Emirates made an announcement that they were going to increase the costs of their awards. And I was like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'd really like to get on a 747 and I'd like to get on a 380. So I didn't have a 747. I had done a trip back towards the end of 2022 to finish a the United 1K challenge that I did to get their 1K status. And I'd flown every single plane that United flies, every Boeing. So I did the 737, 57, 67, 77, and 87 all over the course of a weekend on a, I guess you would call it a status run, not so much a mileage run anymore. But I did the status run, flew all the Boeing planes, and then I was like, the 747 is the only one still flying that's not in United's fleet. And uh, I'd flown 717, 727s, you know, back in the day. So 747 was the last one. And I was like, maybe uh, Lufthansa will open up awards, and but I'm going to keep this United award flight and see if I can get Lufthansa. And I booked the Emirates flight on the A380 with the uh, Fifth Freedom from Milan back to JFK. And I've said, we'll figure everything else out somewhere in between. And that's more or less what we did is I, I booked a series of days that gave us, I think, nine or 10 days and started watching for things to do and used Hilton points at the Hilton Imperial in Dubrovnik. And that was, I have to say, the best Hilton stay I've ever had. I'm not experienced uh, a stay where I've been treated that way. And funny little thing here, then maybe a little 
tip for listeners. I booked that when I was a Hilton Diamond, but I was not a Hilton Diamond when I arrived and they still gave me everything as if I was a Hilton Diamond. So perhaps you can book things into the future and retain that status. That's definitely an interesting data point. Let's try to kind of decouple things a little bit here. Let's talk through, so those two first class flights, right? You were stalking, if that's an an appropriate word to use in this case, the (laughs) the Lufthansa. And in fact, it's my favorite. uh, It's the reverse of my favorite. It's a, what is it? 418 or is it 419? That flight from Dulles to Frankfurt. That's how much I fly that route. (laughs) I know it off the top of my head because it's Lufthansa 418 from Frankfurt into, into Dulles. But you were watching that because I did the same thing. And unfortunately, I came up short just like a month or so after you were successful. But you were monitoring that for how long? And were you looking at the flights before the day of travel? Were you looking at, hey, Tuesday's got F8. I'm going to set alerts on Expert Flyer for that. Thursday or Wednesday has F7. I'm going to set alerts for that. Were you going to that level? I did eventually, but not at first. No, I I was like... When I first started doing this, I said, what are all the routes that fly the 747 somewhere into Europe? And of course, Lufthansa from the U.S. had them all. So I was going to fly anywhere that to position, whether it was D.C., whether it was New York City, whether it was Toronto, Chicago, Miami, Houston. I can't remember. Maybe it was Denver. I don't remember everywhere they, but there was a, a ton of routes where I used uh, flight connections to identify every route that made it over to Germany, whether it was Frankfurt or Munich. It turns out that I started looking, I set expert flyer alerts, and I also had started using Seats.Aero. And Seats.Aero has a tool for their pro members that identifies first class only space. So I started noticing a few little patterns, but like everything, to me, finding out these kind of things is in the community. You know, there are people who go down certain rabbit holes. I'm never going to go down the Lufthansa hole, but I know there are people in our communities who do. And I asked the question and I said, what's the best chances? And I probably did this maybe about two weeks out because I was looking at it and I started realizing that's when everybody starts saying you can find these. I had all these alerts set. Somebody gave me a little tip that said, hey, if you look at 4 p.m., and 9 p.m. Frankfurt time, which is like 10 and 3 Eastern Standard Time, those are the times when they actually release the space. And that if business class happens to have a lot of availability, then your shot at getting first is pretty high. So I looked for this flight that had the most business, the most first class space, and it happened to be out of D.C., And it happened to be a day earlier than we were originally intending on leaving. But I had that flexibility built into the the timing. Again, originally we were flying out of Newark to London and then London to Croatia. And I told my dad, like I said, keep your stuff packed, get ready, because if something opens when it does, I'm going to book it and we may have very little time. And sure enough, that's what happened. I, I was monitoring those flights every day for two weeks out. And 27 hours ahead of the flight, two uh, F tickets opened up. And I happened to be at, <laughs> I probably was rude and impolite because I was at my nephew's birthday party. I left, went to my car <laughs> and where I, I had planned on being prepared for this. I had brought my computer along with me and I went, opened up my computer, started putting in everything I needed into 
uh, Avianca Life Miles, where I'd already transferred points in to be prepared for this and grab the tickets. And to make this a, a little bit even better story, the expert flyer alerts and seats arrow alerts I'd set never ticked. Hmm. So, and that's an experience I had observed as well when I was looking. The alerts are great, but if you actually need to take action, you can't just trust those. So what did you do? I feel like I remember your posts on the Emirates flight, and it was something a little bit unique as well, right? Yeah, so the 747 I had never intended to take unless I could find first class because I didn't want to fly there to business class. I had one two one on Polaris and United. So I, w- I was like, do I get take the nicer seats or the plane that I want to do? And in this case, I was going to take the nicer seats. But if I could get first class on the 747, that's what was going to make me do that. On the 380, we had business class, which is one to one, perfectly fine. It was beautiful, looks great. I had an experience to walk through and experience everything that business class was when I flew it. However, I noticed I'd been tracking Emirates and they had like eight, 10 seats available. It's a 12 seat cabin in Emirates first on the A380. And I want to say that seven or eight of them were still available going into check-in. So, and I say check-in, technically 24 hours out. Check-in is actually on Emirates, 48 hours out you can check in. But at 24 hours out, there were still seven seats that were unsold. They At no point... Was first class ever available? I tried to book it directly. I booked business class uh, when we booked these flights, but they didn't exist. And I kept watching for upgrades. Uh, I had set an alert in Emirates to notify me if there were ever any upgrades available. And this one was less nice than what the Lufthansa one was because I got to the airport and I saw that these seats were still available, but I had not transferred points in because I never received a notice from Emirates that any seats were, they were giving them up. So I checked into the desk and as I'm checking in, getting everything set up, I I say, Hey, I see there's seats available. Can I do the first class upgrade? And it was 30,000 points per person. She said, yeah, just, but you don't have any points. I said, I'm waiting for you to confirm that they're there because I don't know when I'm going to fly Emirates again. I don't want to transfer these points in and have them stranded. And I got them in because she said they were there. Start going. She, She grabs my seat confirms my ticket, does my dad, and it won't go through. It errors out. And it seems like from the data points I've seen on this is that with some of the Mideastern carriers, Etihad, Qatar, Emirates, that if the member or the passengers on the itinerary don't have a frequent flyer number, that this happens sometimes. So if you're going to book and try to do this with a guest and they don't have a frequent flyer number, you may want to make sure that they do and get a frequent flyer number so that that doesn't happen. I don't know why that has anything to do with it, but it seems like there's some kind of cause behind that. And that's possibly what happened to me. So they just said, go to the lounge and they'll get it straightened out there. So now I had to go through security and get through there. And by the time we got to the lounge, it was about two hours before the flight was scheduled to board, and I tell them what happened, what I wanted to do, and they're like, okay, we'll see what we can do. We'll have to call it in and go enjoy the lounge, and we'll get back to you. And I'm like, come on now. I got you know 60,000 points sitting here in this program, and you just told me that I, I could get it, and now I can't, and what's going on? And eventually, about an hour before boarding, they paged me in the lounge and said, 
uh, please come up to the desk and handed me two first class tickets. I can't even imagine the emotion that you must have been going through. The, the, the torture of the weight. My, my God. That's awesome, though, that it, it all worked out. I have to believe that it, mu- it must have felt even better to have endured that, to board that beautiful aircraft and that beautiful cabin. And Yeah, it was really nice. And it was something that, again, I was able to do with my father. is something he'd never experienced, something I'd never experienced before. And it made me realize how privileged we are in this community to be able to do these kind of things because as privileged as that was, I don't feel like I ever need to do those again. (laughs) That'll change. I don't need to go way out of my way to do all these things. And that's more or less what I did is like everything was kind of out of the way. I had six different flights booked both way, or I guess I say three, three different flights each way, because every di- flight that connected to the next was booked on a different program. Yeah. I mean, I kind of hear your opinion sometimes like, you know, it's nice to have it, you know, have the, have the notch on the belt. What I would really be interested in actually is just what were some of the highlights? What, like, what were the things that you really enjoyed now that you experienced these kind of first class products? Like, I, I just love to see from your point of view, from, from, you know, your set of eyes, like what, what were some of the things that really stood out as like, this is kind of amazing. Well, the, the fact is, is I want to say that the places I went were amazing. You know, mm. I got to in, in experience, you know, pretty cool travel products. I got to experience lounges and stuff like that, whether it was part of my ticket or because of my airline status or things like that. And those are cool things that, you know, a lot of people in the communities want to do. People keep saying, oh, I want to do Emirates first. Yeah, it was great. I would have rather, to be honest, though, after having experienced Lufthansa first compared to Emirates first, I liked Lufthansa better. Even though Emirates was flashier, I liked more of the space on Lufthansa. I I thought it was more personalized experience than Emirates. I thought Emirates, it felt like I could have been, I would have had more space in business class, to be honest, because the first class cabin ended up going out full and completely cramped. Not that it's cramped you know, in first class, but when you have all those people, whereas in the back in business class, which we had originally booked, half the cabin was empty. So, you know, there's just more, it just felt odd. I I, I don't know that I can put an exact thing on why I felt that way. It just was like, okay, if I were doing this again, I definitely don't need to do first. I like the, I like the shower that was kind of Mm -hmm. fun to do. My dad really enjoyed it, but do we need that? No, you know, the lounges have those, so we don't need to do those kind of things. I was just going to say, it seems like the, the balance between like privacy versus, you know, not being claustrophobic and having kind of like an open cabin. Cause you know, I definitely feel like I, I, I sleep better on a Lufthansa first class seat than I do on an Emirates. Cause I think you do have more space or you have more, I guess. The perception kind of, of space. The perception of space. Exactly. And it's better betting. Yeah. And you're right. I think the seat is more comfortable too. It is. It totally is. You you know, and it's funny that you you mentioned that your father enjoyed that shower. I had to convince when I took my brother and my father on Emirates first before the pandemic, I literally had to convince both of them. I said, look, part of the deal is we're flying this really nice product. You're going to enjoy it. You're going (laughs) to do the shower. You must do the shower. (laughs) And they did. And they thought it was kind of cool, but they were like lukewarm about it. And then after the fact, they were just like, eh. I mean, so it's cool to it's cool to hear that somebody's father actually enjoyed it. But we we probably need to switch gears to perhaps some of your highlights. What did you really enjoy on the ground? 
On the ground, I really enjoyed walking through Zagreb. Uh, it was just, it was a change in experience. It was a way for me to see how people in a different country and and Croatia is actually not one of the poorer countries out there. But when I, I look through all of the places in Slovenia, of course, is one of the most wealthy European nations. But relative to what people make here in the United States and the cost of living, they don't make anywhere near what we do, but they also don't have the costs that we do either. So it's you look at some of the things and it's I, I was really afraid going over there. I'll, I'll put it this way is that going over there, I was afraid because first of all, you know, I look at my name, my heritage and where I'm going and I realize I can't speak any of the language. I feel like an idiot, but I go over there and that was a big fear factor. Part of the reason why we probably waited so long to go because my dad understands a little bit more than me, but not much. I think we were afraid. I think we were afraid. And, and once we, finally got past that and arrived and saw, you know, that maybe they don't all speak the language, but most of them do speak English or at least better English than I speak Croatian. We can communicate. There are still ways we can point. We can do this. We can we can figure out what we need to do. Like I said, we went through Ljubljana and uh, the capital city in Slovenia and saw some of the history about how the dictators and then eventual leaders changed the areas and did things there. We went down to Split, which I was confused the whole time. I've never been to Italy in my life, but in Split, I felt like I was in Italy the whole time. It's like it just had that Italian feel. And of course it did because a Roman emperor built his palace, his Diocletian's palace that's still standing 1,700 years later. This palace, you can walk through and see all the original rooms and things like that. It's just astounding to see stuff like that that's still in existence long before any of us ever, you know, had family history in the United States. I went to Bosnia and we were trapped at the border. I say we were stopped and we were pulled aside and I, I don't know how trapped we were. It took maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but we had a driver who didn't speak English and our driver uh, crossed the border and we were pulled aside. Nobody else was. And there seemed to be some kind of problem with, I'm not sure exactly what, but my dad and I were both very nervous leaving and entering Bosnia. And a future driver who spoke very good English said is probably the fact that this guy was entering in a back way and he was trying to avoid a passenger tourist tax. I don't know. He didn't, he couldn't tell us why it was he didn't speak English. So there are a couple of things that, and you saw the country, you saw the war-torn areas. We saw Mostar and the old bridge, and it's just, you realize how fortunate you are over here in the U.S. when you see some of the stuff that occurred there. Finally, ending it in Dubrovnik, we saw the castle, and of course, there's a lot of tourism there that's maybe even becoming over-tourism because of uh, Game of Thrones. Game of, it got a lot of popularity there, so people want to do all the Game of Thrones stuff. And they say that so far this year, they haven't had anybody strip naked and try to run through the streets, but usually <laughs> at least once or twice a year, somebody does, and uh, they have to arrest them and do something or other. But there were just a lot of cool places. We got to see the Bay of Kotor in Montenegro, and then we made our way up to Milan. We we did a, a positioning flight from Dubrovnik to uh, Milan through Vienna, and I had like three hours to see all I could see in Milan. And man, 
oh man, that was so cool. We we saw so many cool sites. One of the the famous churches there. There's a shopping mall that the Hyatt Regency in Cleveland, the arcade is modeled after, and I can't pronounce. Oh, it I didn't know that. The Galleria Vittorio, or I can't remember what it's called exactly. I'd have to go back and look it up. But I took some pictures there. And it was just to show that, you know, this Hyatt Regency model of 1892 was built in Cleveland, modeled after that particular construction. So, yeah, just a lot of different things I got to see. And I I felt, again, very blessed to be able to do all that stuff that five years ago I couldn't have fathomed taken. I couldn't agree more about, you know, after coming back from being out of the country for some period of time. Most of the time I come back and I think, I'm really glad to be back home in the U.S. <laughs> it just make you realize, you know, some of the things that are a little bit more that create had just have a little bit more friction outside the country that you live in, whether it be taxi drivers or other weird, you know, customs or weird things that happen to you, you know, like, ah, yeah, it's, it's nice to be back home where, where things are back to the way you're used to having them. Heck, even sometimes when you're overseas, you're, you're just thankful to be an American. So many of us talk about Europe and how it's cheaper to you know go out to eat and to enjoy in general. It's true, but we're just there for a moment in time, and we don't have the full experience that people living there have. And so we're kind of getting the best part in many cases and not necessarily seeing the tax burden or the fact that homes are smaller there or all the other different aspects. It's always easy to kind of look at those things and say, oh, hey, you know, it's so much nicer there than here. But the reality is, is the grass is no more greener. Yeah. And we're always stealing from their architecture, right? You know, whether they be Hyatt Regencies or other (laughs) (laughs) other buildings. (laughs) Well, you want to talk about a negative aspect. And we were at the very first night in Zagreb, we, we ate at the restaurant in the hotel, I can't remember, it was some Marriott Bonvoy property, but we stayed at the Sheridan in 2021, I think, which what is the Westin. Uh, was it the Westin? It was the Sheridan, Westin, I think. I, the I, West, I, okay, I so the Westin West. is where we stayed. Ah. <laughs> and the server there, I, I felt bad because we hadn't gotten cash yet. We didn't have any, any euros to leave, and I wanted to leave him a tip. And he's like, don't put it on a credit card. They tax so much. By the time they take everything out of it, I won't even see anything. So he told me not to tip him because it was worse for him than. Oh, interesting. So he just did. He's like, please don't tip me. I I don't want it. You know, if it had been cash, he would have been fine because, of course, they don't report it. But, you know, if it's coming through on a credit card, then it was like a negative thing. And that's a thing I think most people, if going to Europe is new to them, and it certainly was to me, it was kind of surprising, is you can't put tips unless they're like the hotel itself. Most places you can't put tips on a credit card. I actually find that you can in in a lot of my experience, just from what I found. But I can't remember what it was in in Zagreb. But uh, just most recently in Greece, you could. Depends on what country you're in. Yeah, in Croatia and Slovenia, there was nowhere. Both of those countries, there was no like uh, tip tip line unless you were at a hotel. Mm. Gotcha. Any final thoughts on the trip? Uh, and then we'll jump to a fun little uh, game we're bringing back from last episode. Yeah, no, I think it really is that I feel like people need to get into the hobby, but they don't have to be like me. They don't have to be like you. They don't have to be like TK. Everybody needs to take their own path and find it. I found it that there's a lot of people who think this is the way you have to do it. You have to do it my <laughs> way. If you don't do it my way, you're not right. 
you don't have to have 35 cards like I do. You don't have to do all these crazy things like many of us do. Learn the basics. We have a little mini course, and I call it a mini course. It's not a mini course. It's a single post by one of my team members, Allison Caraway in Award Travel 101, discussing the steps to award travel. And you can apply those steps as you see fit that make your travel and apply them to you to make sure that you can find things that really work best for your travels, your personality, the things that you want to do in the future. And of course, here's the one thing if I would tell anybody to do things like I did, it would be to ask questions. And going back to my personality, you know, you'd ask, what is my personality? Is that I've never been afraid to ask questions. I don't care if I look stupid. I don't care if somebody says you look, you're dumb or you don't know what you're talking about because I'm learning from that. And I think a lot of people get caught up in social media and get scared that they're asking things in communities where there's thousands of other people who might see that they don't know what they're talking about. How are you going to learn if you don't ask questions? So that's my biggest tip is to always ask questions. I'm constantly in that mode myself is how can I improve? How can I be better? And it's always to ask questions. Two great, great points, asking questions, because there is no stupid question and playing your own game. I know a lot of people try to do, you know, the old phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, but but you don't need to do that in this game. I wanted to transition to guest affair. We'd done this and actually had some positive feedback on the episode with Michael Traeger. And so I thought I'd throw this out at you guys here. We've got a long weekend holiday fair, holiday weekend, I should say. It is an open jaw. We are flying from John F. Kennedy, New York's airport to Lima on nonstop LATAM. I believe it's a 767. It looks to be the new seat, if that matters. Return. So the outbound is on a Wednesday before the holiday. The return is the Sunday before a Monday holiday. And the return is Lima to Baltimore, Washington International via Atlanta. It's Delta One, or so they say, Lima to Atlanta, and then just domestic first class for the short hop from Atlanta up. As we did before, Joe, as guest, will let you do the first guess. And it's kind of like the Price is Right showcase showdown. If you're if you're below, you're good. And then closest person, if you're over by more than, let's say, $100, then you kind of lose. <laughs> the prize is fantastic. The prize is fantastic. <laughs> well, so are we guessing cash or are we guessing points or what are we doing? Oh, here? yes. I'm sorry. Way? We're guessing the cash fair for the- Revenue business fair. Is that right? Revenue business fair. Again, open jaw, leave from JFK, return to BWI, and you've got Lima as your destination. And it is business class, essentially, the entire time. Thirteen sixty. Ooh, I'm going to do $897. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm astonished. So, Joe, you're correct. So, it's actually $16.51.34. Oh. And the reason I'm astonished, TK, is because other than a $900 fare that I just saw two or three days ago, I have not seen Lima under 1000 in three or four years for business class. I think I've seen it less than that. I've, I've seen it on a couple of, uh, of websites, but it's been very transient. It's not been a consistent thing. I'm probably not factoring in the, your holiday weekend, but you know what? I was, uh, was kind of doing the $1 thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Touche, touche. Well, and the interesting thing in this fair that I found 
was if it was round trip JFK Lima back, it mm-hmm. was $300 more. Oh, interesting. The open jaw yeah. saved you 300 bucks. The open jaw actually saved a lot of money. I mean, 300 mm-hmm. seems pretty significant. I mean, what's that? Uh, 15% of the uh, total fare, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it just you or is there multiple people on this? Because you add multiple people on that adds up even quicker. Well, yeah. I mean, so I didn't just find this for the show. This is actually something I booked over the weekend. I thought it was kind of fun to do that. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, we're going to try to keep doing this just because I think it's interesting to kind of monitor not just, you know, the award fairs, but also the cash fairs and how they, they sort of evolve as we're continuing in this environment where, you know, just as I think we talked about on the checking in episode, which is on the Milanomics feed, I think on the, on the Patreon side, it's changing minute to minute almost fairs, awards, et cetera. There's a good case to be made to pivot to some revenue fairs, you know, that can be. And you're earning miles, obviously. You're getting some back when you can credit some of those, you know. And by the way, you can credit, I think, at least the LATAM segments to Alaska if you want, if you don't want Sky Miles. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm going to have to change that now. (laughs) There we go. There's your tip of the week. (laughs) (laughs) There's still a LATAM partner, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going to double check that one. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our, our listeners find you? Well, I'm every day in the Award Travel 101 Facebook community and many of the others as well. So I, I don't just take care of ours. I, I certainly monitor and participate in as much as possible because, again, that's me. Everywhere I can be, learning from everywhere. So, But generally, you'll find me in the Award Travel 101 Facebook community. Thanks for coming on. That's the show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Milonomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles, points, and travel content. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. 